Welcome to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, each day, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions than they can fit into a live show format. So, in this bonus program, caller questions will be served up and answered with brief but helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Please tell your friends about Invest Talk and remember that the Anytime Listener lines never close. 888-99 chart. Hello, and thank you for downloading this Investop podcast, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and we've been tracking our podcast download numbers, and they have increased month over month. This is very good. But as you can imagine, more listeners results in more live show callers and also a greater number of voice bank questions. So we are dedicating this show to your pre-recorded caller questions, the calls that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART, and I will provide as many answers as possible in this bonus podcast. So let's get started. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm 34 years old. I've been a listener for a couple of years. Historically, I've invested just in equities, and you know, during the last month or so i'm realizing i need to probably shift my focus to be invested in some bonds as well i was wondering what the easiest way to gain exposure would be i don't have a lot of time to actively manage individual portfolio companies holdings for instance i've been selling out of individual securities last year and and buying into etfs just to sort of passively manage uh, my portfolio so I was wondering if bond ETFs were an option or if I should be looking more towards bond mutual funds. I understand that both have risks, but I'm essentially just wondering what's the easiest way I can gain exposure to fixed income without having to actively search for individual bonds. Look forward to hearing answer on the podcast. Thanks. Well, I would prefer bond ETFs. Uh, they also are a type of mutual fund. So don't don't think that a mutual bond uh, a mutual fund bond is that much different than a mutual uh, than an ETF that has bonds in it. They're pretty much the same, but there's a, what you have to decide as a bond investor is what length of bond you want. Do you want a short term bond, long term, intermediate term? What is the best place for you to be? And that's where the difficulty comes in. And re- always remember, when interest rates go down, the bond values go up. So your bond ETF and bond mutual fund will go up in value if interest rates come down. If interest rates rise, interest rates rise, the bond uh, mutual fund bond and the ETF bond fund will go down in value. So I prefer to have you own the individual bonds. I really do. Okay? This is a special Investop podcast bonus show. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. Here comes another question, this time from a listener in Temecula, California, asking about the symbol S-Y-Y. So hey, let's Steve, take a look Justin, at S-Y-Y. This is Anthony Ramirez. I'm here out of Temecula, California, and I currently work for Cisco Corporation, S-Y-Y. And I was wondering what your view on the company is. I've been investing for over 25 years. They take out 10% of my check weekly. And I wanted to know, am I over-invested or should I keep on investing at this point? Let me know what you guys think. Hope to hear your outcome soon. Take care. Be safe. Bye. 
Okay, so SYY is Cisco Corporation. This is the, not the Cisco, uh, the network company. This is Cisco, the food distributor. Distributes food related products to the food service industry via 332 distribution centers. They've been around a long time. It's a big company, $24 billion in size. They're going to make $3.52. And I have a feeling their, their distribution business will be hurt a little bit, but not that much. And it's a pretty low price stock. At $47 if they're going to make $3.52. So let's say they make only $3, not $3.52 next year. It's still a fairly low price stock. Now, it never does have a really high P.E. ratio, but it pays a 3.8% dividend. The biggest concern I have is they have a lot of debt. That, that would be the biggest concern. But they have a huge cash flow to service that debt. So it may not be a problem. Um, and in answer to your question, it depends on how much the this particular stock is of your overall portfolio. I don't like to see anything more than 10%. So if you have a million dollars and you have over 100000 of this stock, you're in trouble. That's too much of concentration. So have a little bit more. Okay, let's go straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. It's Brian from St. Louis. I wanted to know your thoughts on Transdime Group, TDG. They have a terrible balance sheet, and they're high on debt, but they're down 50% since the start of this virus. I was wondering if they can get through this. Is this an attractive price right now? Thanks again. Love listening. The short answer is no, is not. They're growing very fast, but they're still very expensive. Manufacturers, actuators, controls, ignition systems, gear pumps, and other components for the aerospace industry. It's a $17 billion company, a good industry to be in. But they make, uh, they're going to make $16 a share this year, $17 a share next year. It's a $313 stock. So that's not cheap. The, the savings grace is they have very high growth rate and probably I'm going to think that the, they will continue to have that with the current administration spending money on this kind of thing. So, but don't think it's inexpensive just because it fell almost 50%. What's trading at $650 a share? Got all the way down to $225, $230, somewhere in there. Now it's $313. Uh, I still think it's too expensive for me. I'd wait for another fall. I really would. Now, please tell your friends about InvestTalk and this special InvestTalk podcast bonus show. And now here comes another listener question asking about Verizon. Hi, I'm wondering, I'm just curious about Verizon stock, VZ. It looks pretty good, and in comparison, AT&T has been talked about a lot on the podcast, so I'm just curious your thoughts on this stock. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Well, I like Verizon almost as much as I like AT&T. Provides local exchange network access data. We all know who Verizon is and AT&T are. They pay a 4.3% dividend. They fell from $60. Well, actually, if you go back to just March 1st, they were $60 at the end of February. So they've been following falling a little bit but it was when they crashed was you know beginning of march from around 56 all the way down to around 49 or so now they're back up to 56 made it all back that's what i like about verizon at&t you know i i like that a lot pays a 4.3 percent dividend i would probably i wouldn't buy it right now i would like to see if we get another pullback and buy it on the pullback this time make sure you pull the trigger on the pullback Okay, let's go straight back to our InvestTalk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier, the 8899 chart from a listener in Chicago about options. 
What's up, Steve and Justin? It's Jay calling from Chicago. Just wanted to get you guys' opinion on options. I know this is more of a conservative show, and we don't hear too much about options trading, but I would just like to hear you guys' opinion on um, options trading in this climate. And a follow-up question for that, do you guys trade options um, in your fund, for example? Do hedge fund managers trade options? I'm just trying to get an understanding of who I'm trading up against when I'm executing these type of trades. Look forward to hearing that on the show. Thanks, guys. We have no problem options. One of our programs is called Equity Income Plus, and it, 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 it does options. So we, we will do options. Should, I will tell you this. They're more complicated than people think. We like to do covered calls. Okay, we don't want to do naked calls. And a covered call means you own the underlying stock. Naked calls mean you don't under, own the underlying stock, and it's more, it's a bit more risky that way uh, because we like the income options produce. Okay, so no, I, we have no problem with options, uh, but I will warn you that it does take special knowledge and a lot of experience. So be careful with them. Let's keep moving. Here comes Owen from Minnesota. Hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Owen. I'm from Minnesota. Uh, I love the show. I'm a religious listener. I want to know what you guys think about Two Harbors Investment Corp, TWO. They went from a high of $15 a share a little bit over a month ago, then down to $2.50 after cutting their dividends, and now they've been hovering around $4 a share. I look forward to hearing your response. Two Harbors Investments. It's a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, symbol TWO, a REIT that invests in finances and manages residential, mortgage-backed securities and related investments. And that's why they've got crushed so bad from 14 all the way down to 2. Today they're at 450, as you say. Uh, why they get crushed? Because the assumption is real estate business is going to suffer down the road and these mortgage-backed uh, securities are going to suffer even more. Remember, these are the kind of securities that tanked terribly and brought a lot of companies to their knees back in 2008. Now, they're scheduled to make $1.12 this year and $1.28 next year. I have a feeling those estimates are going to be really strongly revised. I think it's a very risky place to be in this kind of environment that we're dealing with, this COVID virus and shut down the economy. We are, you know, we're in a recession. How deep a recession? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a deep recession. How fast we get out of it, I don't know. But these are kinds of things that work very poorly in recession. So I would, I would stay out. I would stay away from it. Next up, caller from Montana asking about FedEx and UPS. Hey, Steve, this is Eddie out of Montana. Uh, I just had a question for you. I was curious if it would be a good time to get into a position on FedEx or UPS, and which one you would prefer. Both have not great dividends, but decent, and it seems like you know the trend is going to be towards people going more towards uh, ordering packages online, especially since FedEx kind of renewed their deal with Amazon. Just curious what you guys thought. Thanks for the show. Well, remember, Amazon wants to deliver its own packages, and so that that that's an overhang for FedEx and UPS. But I agree with you; the package delivery business is going to be even stronger with this COVID nineteen thing uh, because people are shopping online. So FedEx has earnings next year of nine dollars and thirty six cents. They made in two thousand nineteen fifteen dollars and thirty one cents. So, so it's been you know they they expect a 
big pull down and then a rebound to ten dollars so let's take a look at it from okay about ten dollars worth of earnings it's a hundred twenty three dollar stock so that's a 12 pe i don't think that's cheap enough i really don't uh, i think they're going to have a lot of competition coming from amazon doing it themselves at some point so uh, i do think it's Fairly inexpensive right now. Good return on equity, 22%. Great cash flow. Good, strong company. But I think the pressure is on for FedEx and UPS. So I would wait for another pullback. I mean, it got down to $94 and it was bounced up to 123 I think it'll retest. I think it'll go back down. I don't know if it'll go all the way down to that low, but I would wait for a better opportunity in FedEx. This is a special Investop Podcast bonus show, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and we call it the Rapid Fire Hour. Here comes another question, this time from a listener in Florida. Hello, my name is Sue. I'm with in Florida. Just started listening to your show. I'm about 10 years away from retirement, and I'm trying to educate myself. Uh, right now, my portfolio is with Edward Jones, and I don't know, I keep reading that they are quite expensive. But my question is relating to you refer to position, buy a position, buy a half a position. What exactly does that mean? Is a position the the cost of the stock or is it a specific amount of money and depending on how many you can how many stocks you can buy for one position? Just trying to educate myself. Love your show. Have a good day. Bye. Well, thank you for the question. I really appreciate that. A position means we're buying a stock or an ETF most of the time, or a bond. Most of the time, I'm referring to a stock. And a position for us, we like to not buy more than 3% of any one stock or any one position in our stock programs. So when I say, uh, well, we put in a half a position, that means I bought one and a half percent of the portfolio and of course that means a number of shares depends how big your portfolio is right a hundred thousand portfolio is very different than a million dollar portfolio but one and a half percent is still one and a half percent now would be a half a position three percent is a full position so it's it's a question of how much of a portfolio that you're buying and we buy three percent many people you can buy up to five percent but you know if you want to like ease into something you don't have to buy the whole position another three percent or the whole five percent so sometimes i mean we bought one percent sometimes and then buy another percent and another percent three three purchases especially since there's no no trading costs anymore so that's what we mean by position. Remember, the Invest Talk Anytime Listener line number is always the same 888 99 Chart. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, in a 24 hour period, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions than they can fit into a live show format. So, in this bonus program, caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Let's keep moving. Hi, Justin and Steve. Thank you for your informative show. This is Axel from Montclair. I'd like to know your analysis on the uh, ticker symbol RTX, which is now merged with Raytheon and United Technologies. I'd like to know uh, regarding the dividend and payout ratio, if that looks sustainable and the debt what do you guys think thank you again 
RTX Raytheon Technologies provides aerospace and defense systems and services for commercial, military, and government customers. And again, I like that part of it, the military, government customers, because, you know, especially if Trump gets reelected, you know, he'll, he'll keep spending money here. Yeah, this is where he's going to be spending money. They make a 4.8% dividend. Uh, it is fairly inexpensive. It was at $90 a show before, $90 show before the fall, and it fell all the way down to 45 made a comeback to, uh, what, today is at 62 or so in that range. Um, I would expect for another pullback uh, to happen. I think that will happen. It is a good, solid company, and it's not cyclical either. So I like that. So I think it's a pretty good position to take if you can buy it on the next pullback. Let's go straight back to our Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. The listener line is asking about an important topic, 401k contributions. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Chris from Philadelphia. Hey, I'm 36 years old, and currently 100% of my 401k contributions are going into a Fidelity 2050 target date fund. Given the current downturn and my long-term time horizon, I was contemplating either selling 50% of my balance and putting it into a Fidelity 500 index fund, or I could just change 50% of my future contributions go to the Fidelity 500 index fund. Uh, my goal is to track closer to the S&P 500 during the rebound, given the potential for higher returns. Curious to get your opinion on either of those strategies. Thanks. Really appreciate the show. Well, I kind of like the second one better. Um, okay, that stock market, I just don't think it's done with its, its uh, bear market uh, moves. I think that, you know, uh, we are probably going to, suffer another pullback to retest of that low and you know i think if you dollar cost average into the index the s&p 500 index with new money i think that would work remember if it's 2050 if it's a 2050 fund that means it's mostly all exposed to the stock market so you're probably tracking most of the index as it is so it's not a big major change no matter what you do Appreciate the call. I'm Steve Pease, and I thank you for downloading this Investor Podcast bonus show. In this hour, I am focusing solely on caller questions, which are uh, which which we are retrieving from our voice bank. Our anytime this online number is never closed. So when you have a financial or investing question, please call it 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Thank you for the show. I'm a relatively new investor. I uh, opened up an account looking to kind of invest for a longer-term goal, like an investment property or something like that. Based on your show, I know that a large portion of my portfolio should include bonds. And I know everyone likes to call and talk about companies and options and things like that. But I was wondering if you could give me uh, a rundown on what bonds you guys like to buy, what I should look for when buying bonds. I know there are a couple different types of bonds, investment grade, corporate bonds, treasuries, things like that. I was also wondering what a junk bond is, if that's uh, just a name for a bond or if that means that it's junk and shouldn't be invested. Appreciate the show and appreciate you guys answering my call and listening for it on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, that's that's a lot of lot of answering to do there. First of all, if you're young, we don't recommend bond, bonds. You don't need to be in bonds. It's only when you approach in retirement that you want to take less risk that you start moving toward bonds. And we like you buying the individual bonds, not the bond funds or the bond ETFs. Now, um, 
Bonds are a whole different animal from stocks, so it's very different. I'll answer the last question there about junk bonds. Okay, investment-grade corporate bonds are triple B plus or higher. That's the rating. There's two rating agencies. I won't get into that. But you want a higher rating bond, investment-grade. Now, triple B plus or better. Now, junk bonds are rated below that. That doesn't mean you can't invest in them. They're perfectly fine to invest in. Just realize they are higher risk. Now, it goes from triple B plus to triple B to double B plus to double B to double double B minus and blah, blah, on, 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 all the way down, okay? So, the higher rated junk bonds, most of them are fine. These junk bonds just pay higher a higher yield and the problem we've had in recent times is their yields are not enough to make up for the risk. So stay away from the junk bonds. But it doesn't mean you never invest in them. It doesn't mean that at all. Junk doesn't mean it will go under. But junk bonds have a higher percentage of going bankrupt and not pay the bonds back than investment grade. But still, you still can invest in them. You just got to be careful. So please tell your friends about Talk, everybody. And this special Investop Podcast bonus show, we appreciate that. We are moving along faster than usual. And now here comes another listener question right now. Hey, Steve. I'm a new listener to your show, and I'm enjoying it so far. And my question was about Discover Financial Services, DFS. I had bought a moderate position in them prior to the you know, market and economic reaction to the COVID-19. And I was wondering what you thought about the long-term, or I guess prospect of the stock and the company in upcoming months, just given the amount of loans, and just wanted to get your take. Thank you. Bye. Okay, this is Discover Financial Services, DFS, issues credit cards in North America and provides payment processing for credit and debit card transactions. So this is like the the third or fourth quality credit card out there. You know, you got Visa and you got MasterCard and then Discover. Um, they make good money. They've always made good money. Very solid company. Uh, they fell from $70 here to about 25 recently, and now they're back to 36 um, I have a feeling, uh, I, I'm, I'm, my gut feeling is to stay away from the financials for the time being. Let it settle. Let this whole thing settle down. And I'd rather see you in one of the top tier, not necessarily Discover, but the other, the other two. Visa or Mastercard. That'd be my opinion. So please tell your friends about us. I really would appreciate it. I'm Steve Peasley, and I thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast bonus show. This is Invest Talk. Hey, Steve or Justin, love your show. Just had a quick question about BP. That's B as in boy, P as in Paul. I've got a couple of shares, but I was just wondering. I've had it since the 1980s, but I was taking a look at it, and it does have a nice little dividend, but doesn't appear that they have a heavy debt. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are, if you think that this might be an opportunity to purchase a little more, and if so, what your target price would be. I sure appreciate your response on this. Okay, so BP, uh, British Petroleum, uh, is one of the big uh, oil companies, 
big integrated companies, which I kind of like right now. And of course, there's ExxonMobil and Chevron. And then here, British Petroleum engaged in the exploration, production, refining, and marketing oil. Okay, $84 billion company, pays a really nice dividend. It's rated at 10% right now. Probably won't be that high going forward. Even though they have a huge cash flow of $8.40, their earnings are only going to be $0.97 cents a share this year, then $1.85, because oil prices are so low. So most likely that don't fall in love with that dividend. Okay, you're right. It doesn't have a lot of debt, which is good. Uh, it fell all the way down to what? Uh, $15 or so a share. Now it's back up to $24.91. It was selling for $35, $36 a share. So um, I like the company. Um, it's going sideways. Uh, you had an OPEC agreement with Russia recently to cut production. So that's a plus. Kind of like the oil space right now. British Petroleum is a good company. This is a special invest talk podcast bonus show, everybody. And we call it the Rapid Fire Hour. As you can tell, I'm moving at a faster pace. My objective is to provide solid answers and unbiased guidance and get to as many listener questions as possible. So let's keep going. Hello, Stephen Justin. Thanks for taking my call and thanks for the show. I am a new investor and would value your thoughts on a good strategy for her. For new investors who are trying to build their retirement portfolio, my work currently does not provide a 401k. However, I have opened a brokerage account at Fidelity, and I'm just looking for some advice for newcomers on investment strategy. Two of the stocks that I've been looking at to help me get started on in my portfolio, and I would be curious your advice if it's a good time to get in, is uh, Microsoft MSFT and or HP Incorporated, symbol HPQ. Thanks for your time, and I look forward to listening on your show. Bye. Well, of those two, I like Microsoft a lot better, okay, MSFT. But as a new investor, you may not want to pick individual stocks because you need to have proper diversification, and picking one or two or three stocks is not very good for diversification. So I would, chef, I would suggest investing in ETF tracking the index. You'll do very well. You know, you can buy the S&PY is the S&P 500, the QQQ is the NASDAQ 100, the DIA is the Dow 30, and just dollar cost average into that. Be very careful about picking individual stocks when you're not picking a group. You need about 15, 25, we like 30 to 35 stocks. So, you know, I realize that it's difficult for a beginner, and as a beginner, you probably should stay with the indexes for a while until you learn more. I have time for one more question in this segment. Justin will take over after me. But now here comes another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and or Justin. I'm calling to seek your advice on Marriott, M-A-R. I'm not ready to buy yet, but I'm curious if you think that the hospitality rebound will be similar at all to that energy sector and that the big guys will be buying all, all the little guys. Thank you very much. Take care. That is true. Marriott International will probably pick up a other other uh, other hotel chains. It operates franchises are licensed seven thousand three hundred lodging properties, you know, and what's that? One point four million rooms in one hundred thirty four countries. But they're really going to take a hit, you know, on this. And they went from one hundred forty all the way down to inner day down to fifty dollars a share. Now they're at seventy eight. 
uh, through this COVID virus thing. I would stay away from this area, personally. There's certain areas I want to stay away from. Airlines, hotels, and uh, you know, uh, uh, different sectors are going to be really hit, and it's not going to just bounce back. Restaurants, so just be very, very careful. I would wait for another pullback before I would consider it. Okay, simple M-A-R, Marriott International, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. Thanks for downloading this special Talk bonus show. At the start of each new day, we are presented with opportunities. The chance to learn better ways of doing things. The prospect for establishing stronger business connections. But as you go about your daily routine, there's one task. One challenge you should not put off. The need to plan for and work toward achieving financial freedom. That point in the future when your money, your assets are working for you while you work only if you want to. Getting from here to there to your idea of financial freedom is possible. However, serious investors eventually recognize that unless they can afford to devote the time and efforts required to thoroughly understand market dynamics, to properly balance, optimize, and maintain their portfolios, expert guidance will be essential. The moment that spark of reality hits, you will want to consult with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein of KPP Financial in Irvine, California. KPP Financial Consultations are unbiased, offered without cost or obligation, and designed to help guide individuals toward their ultimate financial objectives. The next highly beneficial step for your investing future can start when you reach out to Steve or Justin via Skype, a phone call, or a quick message through investtalk.com. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Hello, fellow investors, and thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast. I'm Justin Klein, and we've been tracking our podcast download numbers and They've been increasing dramatically month over month, and this is very exciting. And as you can imagine, more listeners results in more live show callers as well, and a great number of voice bank questions. So we are dedicating this show to your pre-recorded caller questions, the calls that came in earlier on 888 chart, and I will provide as many answers as possible in this bonus podcast. Let's get started. Hello, yes, my name is Orlando, and I'm calling regarding Transocean. I have a small position in in Transocean, and after this, crude oil went down. The price went drastically down, so I don't know if I should just sell it and cash out or if I should uh, wait to uh, recoup some of my losses if they'll come back at all since it is offshore uh, drilling, which is a segment that is probably going to be hurt the most in the oil business. Thank you. Uh, sell it. This is Transocean. They have a ton of debt on their balance sheet, and 
they I believe they're talking about skipping a bond payment. I, I thought I saw some uh, news on that. It's trading at a dollar twenty-two today. They have a ton of debt in their balance sheet. These are the exact type of names you want to avoid in this type of market. So move on. I know you probably have a big loss on it. Move on because likely that one twenty-two will go to zero. Now let's get straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Hey, the older I get, I start to realize the the time in the market, and I wondered about um, the implications for a Roth IRA for my child. I understand there's no minimum age, but they have to have earned uh, income, like taxable income. I didn't know if my business could pay them for one year, and that would suffice, and then they could contribute to a Roth IRA, or how, how does that work? Thank you. Well, they can contribute, or you can pay them if they're eligible for a job. Uh, I don't think you can do that for a young child because they, a young child can't have earned income because they can't technically have a job. So, sure, I'm sure your business, your business can absolutely employ uh, your child as long as uh, they meet the age requirements. I, w- I would imagine. Obviously, I'm not a an employer lawyer. But uh, or a labor lawyer, but uh, yeah, uh, that's the way I, I would imagine it would work. Now, this is a special Invest Talk podcast bonus show. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. So here comes another question. This time from a listener in Texas. Hey, this is Jay in Texas. Two-part question. I want to see what your thoughts are on blockchain, the ETF I'm looking at. Boy, Larry, Charlie, Nancy, and the second question is, what are your thoughts on medical properties trusts? MPW. Thanks. So looking at BLCN, and let me look this up here. This is the iShares Realty, sorry, the Realty Shares NASDAQ Next Gen Economy ETF. Let me look at the holdings of this. Is it really a blockchain ETF? I don't know if that's really the case here. You're looking at Square as the top holding, Overstock, which I'm definitely not a fan of. I know they have some blockchain uh, technology. Uh, it's, it's a mix. You know, Microsoft's in here. Some good companies, some bad. I, I think blockchain has, has a future, but what's the what's the the real intellectual property? How are these companies going to capitalize on that when? It's just a distributed ledger. It's just a way to store data. A new way, a different way than the past. But uh, So I'm not a fan of this, uh, this particular ETF in general. But then I think he was looking at medical properties, MPW. This is a REIT. And here's the thing with REITs. This is something that a lot of people don't understand is that REITs are a structure. They're, they're a I don't say a corporate structure, but they're a pass-through entity, meaning that 90% of their income needs to pass through to shareholders in the form of income, and those shareholders pay tax, ordinary income tax on that dividend. And what that means is the retained earnings that a typical business has is very rare. They typically pay out more than their income. And that means a stretched balance sheet, a leveraged balance sheet, and in tough times, that leverage becomes a big problem. Now, I like medical properties trust and the fact that they own and lease a lot of healthcare facilities, which I think is the more stable area of the marketplace. So uh, I'm going to give it generally a thumbs up. Now, it's still relatively high risk because it's a REIT, 
uh, I think you'll get another dip, probably below that uh, $14, $13 uh, share price back in, in March. And uh, I think that's an opportunity, most likely. So uh, definitely a bigger fan of that medical properties trust over the blockchain ETF. Next up, a caller from uh, Indonesia. Hello, this is Scott calling from Bali, Indonesia. I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and I have a question on Home Depot. Also, second question is Disney. Is it a good time to buy? They've been beaten up a bit and would love your advice. Thank you for listening on the podcast. Bye. I don't like either of these stocks. Home Depot is certainly going to be tied to real estate, and real estate's, uh, I think, going to struggle for uh, a little while, even with low interest rates. 22 people, million people, excuse me, just lost their job over the past month, and that's going to be a problem. And so I'm not a fan of Home Depot, even uh, at least in the near term. Now, long term, I think they have uh, great barriers uh, in the retail space, unlike many others who are being eaten up by Amazon. A lot of the products that Home Depot sells, it's difficult to sell online. So I like Home Depot longer term, but in the short to medium term, not a fan. Disney, kind of same thing. Uh, both, the, both these are good businesses, but really tough headwinds in the near term. And Disney, I think, much worse because it's in the entertainment area and these theme parks are uh, going to be shut for some time and they're, even when they open, probably by force of government, less people are going to be allowed in, less people are going to want to go to these crowded uh, uh, parks, as well as the fact that they, a lot of the revenue comes from ESPN, for example. What's shut down? Sporting events and ad revenue from ESPN. So a lot of headwinds for Disney's business. Everyone's going to point to Disney Plus, and they have, what, 8 million subscribers, and that's nice. But it's paltry in comparison to the revenues from all these other sources that are very cyclical and some that are hurting very, very badly in this environment. So please tell your friends about InvestTalk and the special InvestTalk podcast bonus show. And now here comes another listener question, this time from Arizona. Hey, guys, what's going on? My name is Phil out of Arizona. I was calling in to see what you guys think about Appian, A-P-P-N. Love to hear your thoughts. Appreciate you guys and what you do. Thanks. This one is interesting. This is Appian. I've never heard of it. Uh, They provide low-code software development platform as a service that enables organizations to rapidly develop powerful and unique applications. So uh, it's a... It's a, it sounds like a cloud-based software that is a platform for other companies to build software on top of. I like that. I like that type of business. They have good, solid uh, balance sheet. That's a, that's a positive there. And their revenue is growing in the mid-teens, so I like that. The issue here is that they are not profitable. Negative $45 million in EBITDA. And over the trailing 12 months, and while that's gone up a little bit, over the longer term, it's been trending lower and lower. So I'm not a fan of that. You know, this is a growth name. This is a, a name that is investing in, in that platform, investing in that growth. I like that they have a solid balance sheet, but I don't like they, that they don't make money. The chart, though, I think is pretty good. Uh, even though it's dipped a little bit, I, I kind of like the chart. So my biggest bugaboo here is the profitability is not there, 
and doesn't seem to be getting much, much better in the near term. Now, the cash flow metrics, what I like, are not deteriorating nearly as fast as their quote-unquote EBITDA or earnings, which may mean that a lot of those uh, negative earnings are more accounting versus actual cash flow. So, you know, I kind of like it for a, a small portion of your portfolio, the higher risk portion of your portfolio, but no, it is high risk. Let's go straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at 888.99 chart asking about the online gorilla Amazon. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is David from Montana. I was just curious to your current thoughts on Amazon. Thanks. Well, after this recent surge, I think it's definitely overbought. Uh, certainly a lot of optimism around people ordering online more. Uh, and, you know, you're paying an expensive price for Amazon. Certainly a great company. Uh, but I think if we go into a recession, even though people will still buy online, uh, I think their volume will, will certainly uh, go down. And what happens with their cost to uh, to ship as well as supply constraints. I think that's one of the next knock-on effects of this coronavirus pandemic is supply constraints, and that might uh, limit uh, Amazon in the near term in that sense. Uh, but once again, you're paying huge multiple for Amazon, and that's what worries me the most. So I think you'll get a better opportunity in the next couple of years, but once again, Amazon should definitely be on everyone's buy list. This is a special Invest Talk podcast bonus show, and we get calls from every state, this time Virginia. Hi, this is Al from Reston, Virginia. An inverted yield curve is supposed to indicate an upcoming recession. We all know that a recession is coming if we're not already in one. So my question is, why isn't the yield curve inverted? Is that because possibly uh, due to all of the intervention by the Fed? Or exactly what is it telling us? Uh, is it possible that because it's not inverted, it's telling us that the recession is going to be short? Really be interested in any thoughts you may have on that. Thank you. Well, he's correct that typically an inverted yield curve does signal a, a recession. Now, most, of pe- most people look at the two 10-year spread, and I believe it was flat, maybe briefly negative uh, late last year. And but with rates so low, it's hard for it to really get inverted. And certain other parts of the yield curve were inverted. Uh, and now it's starting to widen out. But what you have to understand is that's a process of going into a recession. Go back to 2007. We inverted in 2006. And it started to actually widen out in 2007 going into the recession in 2008 uh, where we, you know, the yield curve was steepening out uh, in 2007 and, and, and eight and nine. So... The inverted yield curve happened a couple of years before the recession. Same with uh, in 2000, or sorry, 90, 98, right? 98 it inverted, and we didn't go to recession until 2000. Same with 1990, inverted in 89, and we didn't go to recession until I believe it was 90, 91. So often that inverted yield curve is an indicator of a future recession, a year, two years out. And when it steepens out, that just means you're going straight into that recession. So uh, make sure you understand the lead time there with inverted yield curve. Now let's keep things moving. We are going faster in an effort to get as many calls in as possible. Next up, a caller from Nebraska. Hey, this is Colin in Nebraska. I'm holding short contracts on ACB Aurora Cannabis. 
they have just been a uh, really unstable company, and um, I think they're going to go very low. They announced today a 12-to-1 reverse split to remain listed on the New York Stock Exchange. I just wanted to understand how that affects the options that I'm holding. Uh, they have a strike price of 50 cents, and they expire um, late next fall. So just if you could maybe give me some advice how to handle that. Will the strike price update? Do you think the stock will actually make it to 50 cents? Let me know. Love the show. Yes, the the option will update. You're not going to lose money because they did some reverse stock splits. And this is a name that is uh, has been on a steep downtrend from a high of $12 a share late 2018. Now we're at 67 cents a share and obviously going to have that reverse stock split. I don't know if it's 10 for 1 or 20 for 1. But how that works is now that it's 67 cents, say it's a 10 for 1 stock split, it goes to now $6.70 per share and they just take a zero off the share count. Right? I, I don't know what this reverse stock split, split number is, but that's kind of how the reverse stock splits work. Uh, but don't worry about your option. It will, uh, it will update. And do they get to a split adjusted price of $0.50? Cents? I do think so. Uh, I think this is a, a company that loses money. Uh, the shine is coming off the, the marijuana space, and the valuations are coming down. It still has a $727 million market cap, and you know, they never, never made money. So I do think it will continue lower. Now, at KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking and shared success. Unbiased guidance is important to us, so let's get straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at 888 chart Hi, Stephen Justin. I was wondering if you could comment on the medium to long-term effects of the trillions of dollars in stimulus the Fed keeps putting out. It seems like all this spending to boost the economy right now can't just come consequence-free. Thanks. I'm looking forward to your answer. I agree. <laughs> I think there's definitely a lot of moral hazard here. You think a uh, moral hazard of banking, of bailing out the banks. Remember the Occupy Wall Street movement? Well, what happens when every corporation in, in all industries get bailed out uh, because they bought back shares, uh, leveraged up their balance sheet, didn't save for a rainy day, and suddenly... The corporations get bailed out, but individuals get a $1,200 check. Uh, I think that's, uh, uh, from a political standpoint, I think that's going to be the biggest fallout. You're going to look a year from now, two years from now, and and look back at these bailouts, and and I think people are going to be appalled at the details uh, in these uh, these packages. And uh, I think there's political ramifications from it. Now, these dollars are just plucking holes in the system, so they're not creating inflation per se right now. Uh, it's just creating really a, a, a less efficient economy. Bankruptcies are good. Bankruptcies are good for economies. They refresh the capital structures. They lower the burden of debt on the economy. They put in new management, new thinking. And so these companies have a much better chance of growing over time as opposed to just suffering under the weight of debt. And uh, so I, I definitely think there's poor, there's, there's knock-on effects that will be bad for the business economic aspect of our economy as well as the political aspect of our country and, and really the world if you think about it. So uh, I think there will be many, many knock-on effects. Now we'll tee up the next bonus question in 20 seconds. You are listening to a special Invest Talk bonus program, the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour. Typically, in a 24 hour period, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein receive more new voice bank questions 
than they can fit into a live show format. So in this bonus program, caller questions are being answered with brief but unbiased and helpful responses from Steve or Justin. Let's keep moving. Hey guys, this is Chris from Philadelphia. Great show. Been listening daily for about two weeks now. Anyway, I would love your thoughts on Corning Inc., ticker GLW. I think it's a good infrastructure 5G play. Thanks for your time. I look at Corning. They make Gorilla Glass. They make uh, glass substrates for LCDs, optical fiber cables for communication pollution, and pollution control products. So pretty diversified industrial name. $15 billion market cap. They have about $7 billion in debt. I think that's what's driven the, the stock down uh, recently because uh, issues around maybe sustaining that debt level. Uh, so that would worry me. They're, they're certainly going to lose some demand from smartphone purchases uh, because of a weaker economy, more unemployed. They're probably not going to be buying too many, uh, as many smartphones as they were in the past. So that's a, that's a worry for me. I do love the business. This is a, a company that's been on my watch list for a long, long time. I haven't bought it in a while, but uh, it you know, has good cash flow. Solid profitability, not amazing, but solid profitability. 4.4% dividend yield, even though that dividend yield is a little high for me. I don't know the infrastructure play, though. When you say it's an infrastructure play, I'm not sure I buy that. Um, So I think there are better infrastructure plays, uh, because I don't really understand your angle there. Uh, But I would pass on it for now. Keep on your watch list. This needs to get much lower and more clarity on the economy and their business before I would step in. And I think they need to deleverage their balance sheet, which they likely will. So pass for now, but keep it on your watch list. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for downloading this Invest Talk podcast bonus show. Let's take a question from a caller in Minnesota. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Selena. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I had a question for you. I'm thinking about taking some profits off of some some of my positions and moving some of that funds into GDX. I was wondering what you thought about that right now. Thanks, and I'll look forward to listening to the answer online. Bye. Uh, I, I love it. I've, I've loved the miners for a while now, and uh, they're now in a solid uptrend. And you know, they got overbought a couple days ago. You saw one down day, a nice, decent update today. And that just shows you how strong this uptrend, I think, is. Uh, it's taking shape. It's taking form. Uh, and I think it's going to last many years. So I absolutely think everybody should be allocating more to the, the, the gold space. And the miners are going to be the better performer versus gold versus uh, the miners because they are leveraged to the price of gold. So definitely a fan. Definitely should do that. Here comes a question. We get from time to time the topic day trading. Hi, I had a 401k from a previous employer that was automatically rolled over into an IRA. It's just in cash currently. And uh, I'd like to move that over to a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something and just get a little experience day trading with that money if possible. I've been playing with a little of my personal money in Robinhood accounts. I don't play with my 401k at all. I don't touch that at all. I max out the contribution. Is it possible to day trade with money that was formerly in a 401k? And am I going about this the right way to get experience? I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thank you. 
Well, there are sometimes rules around day trading in an IRA, especially if they're under $25,000. So typically look into that with what the, uh, the broker's rules are on it. I definitely would move your money away from Robinhood. I don't think anybody should have uh, their money in Robinhood anymore, especially with Schwab, TD, E-Trade, Fidelity, all having commission-free trading. So I would try to consolidate your IRA and brokerage account into to one firm. We use TD Meritrade, but uh, they're all uh, pretty good. Just definitely make sure they're all CIPIC insured and big. So definitely go uh, uh, with that route. Uh, now, day trading, 99 out of 100 people who day trade, fail. So your odds of, of failure are very, very high. Uh, if you're going to day trade, uh, start with paper trading. Start making you know real live decisions. Don't look backwards and say, well, what if I did this? Say, okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to pull the trigger right now. If I did that, my fill would probably be this. Put that down in a spreadsheet and then start paper trading. Okay, I would, pro I would get out here. Put that down and be honest with yourself as well. Be very, very honest with yourself. And there are actually even uh, paper trading programs out there that you can use. So paper trade first. Find a strategy that you find work works week after week and, frankly, month after month. I would, date, I would paper trade for six months before you do any type of day trading. Now let's go straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank. This question came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hello. What do you think about investing in S? for a long term. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Looking at C Limited. This is a Singapore company and they develop an internet platform consisting of digital entertainment and commerce. Interesting. Company is growing dramatically, about a $23 billion market cap. So they're, yeah, they're a Singapore digital entertainment, e-commerce. I've never heard of this company. Digital financial services. Very interesting here. Definitely strong, strong chart. And in, in this market where technology is A number one, they're doing very well. No pretty much debt on their balance sheet. It, it is on the expensive side. Enterprise value to revenue about 10 times. And their EBITDA is negative, but uh, their cash flow, uh, cash flow is also negative. So this is a, it's a growth name. Uh, and in this market still, growth is, is doing better. Uh, I like the fact that they're losing less money. Their cash flow is now trending higher. That's a positive for me. I'd have to really dig in and really understand the, the assets, the digital assets that they do have. But I like the stock trend. I like the area that it's in. And uh, I'm going to do more research on this. So I'm giving it a tentative thumbs up if they can continue to improve their cash flow situation, which uh, it looks like they are. Now we have time for one more question. This is a special Invest Talk podcast bonus show. We call it the Rapid Fire Hour. Here comes another question, this time from a listener in North Carolina. Hi guys, Lee from North Carolina here. I have a question for you about the financial industry as a business. I have been managing mine and my wife's retirement accounts for a couple of years now, and I've decided to start studying to take my Series 65 exam planning on taking that uh, over the summer. Just curious as to what will be the best line of action after I pass the Series 65. Would you recommend trying to start my own investment advisor firm or try to find an established firm to become an investment advisor representative? Or, you know, what, what would you recommend for someone 
like me that's uh, looking to venture out into the investment advisor business. Thanks. Looking forward to hearing the answers. Great question. There's definitely a lot of routes uh, to go. Uh, it's been many years. I pa- passed my Series 65 when I was 19 or 20, I believe. So I was I was pretty young. And uh, luckily, I have my grandfather as my mentor, founder of KPP Financial. And uh, that helps a lot, is really have a mentor. And so I would try to find a smaller firm and uh, a mentor that really can show you the ropes of the industry, uh, the pros and cons, uh, manage around the, the trends uh, of indexing, which makes uh, you know our business uh, tougher, frankly. And so uh, I would look for a smaller firm that has a mentor, and then you can maybe grow into being a, a partner uh, or maybe break out on your own. But a larger firm, you're probably not going to get quite the exposure, the experience you really need. Look for a smaller firm with a great mentor. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for listening to this special Invest Talk bonus podcast. Please tell your friends about our program and our website, investtalk.com. Remember, our philosophy at KP Financial, independent thinking and shared success. You can learn about our unbiased guidance and the variety of our investment programs at investtalk.com. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.